Welcome to another episode of Give Him Hell Brigham. Jeff, have any recent events changed or impacted future serial purchases that you may make in the near future? Uh, no. No, it hasn't altered what I will and will not eat. So unless you've been living under a rock, you've certainly heard of this story. Uh, I have a headline. Is... I have a headline. So this is from, okay. I saw oh, you read that on Not the Bee, which I don't know if you knew this, but the Babylon Bee, which I am a great fan. They, well, they have another news, like a normal news site called, it's like Discern, whatever that they started. And then they have a third sister site now called Not the Bee, which is basically like these things sound so ridiculous that they sound like they should be Babylon Bee, but they are not satire. They're real. So here's the headline. I don't know how to say this. So I'm just going to say it. Topanga from Boy Meets World, husband found shrimp tails in his cinnamon toast crunch and they are beefing on Twitter and there are also possible rat turds involved. Yeah, That's, I mean, that pretty well sums it up. Yeah, and it's, if you read this, it is insane. Like you look at the picture and there are straight up dried shrimp in, like if you would go down and get like, you can get dried shrimp at like, you know, in the Hispanic or Asian food aisle because they like grind them up and use them as like a seasoning, whatever. It's like, they these are dried shrimp in his cinnamon toast crunch and then they're the cinnamon toast crunch twitter account tried to tell him that it was uh cinnamon accumulated sugar sugar, whatever yeah yes and then he found also found some string and then he looked and there were pictures and there's like there's also like these weird black things that appeared to be like baked into it and someone replied and was like uh those are definitely mouse or rat droppings guarantee they made a home in a bag of flour or other raw ingredient and all of the shrimp string and everything else was their scavenged items. So basically yes. a factory, which totally makes sense. And then Cinnamon Toast Crunch is telling them, first they said, FedEx us the shrimp. And he's like, no, I'm not, you told me it was sugar. I'm not going to send you all of the shrimp because then I have no proof. Like I'm sticking to my guns on this. And then they told him to, that it may be tampering so that he should report it to the police department. And then they opened the other bag because it was a family pack and they found dental floss and more like rat poop turd looking things like cooked <laughs> into the cereal yes oh and then some just normal droppings and then also um they and he was said he said i'm also he said i'm not going to walk into the de- police department yelling here's some shrimp tails that general mills told me to send you <laughs> and, <laughs> and so they uh, and so then finally he found a lab and there he found a lab to that would they're gonna test have dna the, test the- yes um the so he said they're waiting an envelope he said he is waiting on the envelope i agreed on from general mills to send them back pieces of some of the shrimp tail and then we'll leave home for the dna testing um and then he's so there will apparently be uh you know some testing so i'm very i don't know who jensen carp is but um you know he's Tep- topanga's husband man that's yeah. all you need uh, yeah, he's Topanga's husband, and he got shrimp in his cinnamon toast crunch, and that won't change how I buy things because I only buy multi meal cereal, so that's why it's not going to change things for me. If I'm eating cereal, it's multi meal going in bulk, so I can have multiple bowls at a time. So, so here was my thought on the whole thing. I the 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 the, the explanation that makes the most sense is that it was a rat. That whether it be they they made a home in the flower or you know even post-production somewhere whatever right they made a home somewhere in the production process is that gross of course that's gross like that's not okay but crap happens right like i can wrap my head around that story making sense gross 
figure it out, get it cleaned up. Everybody check your cinnamon toast crunch for the next month or two. Make sure you didn't get one of the contaminated batches, but I can make sense of that story. What is concerning to me is how cinnamon toast crunch, not even that they denied it because that's just poor. That's like some recently college graduated person that has a social media manager job. Like that person's just doing what they're told, right? Like, they got this weird picture of shrimp tails and cereal and said, uh, boss, what do I do? And that boss said, yeah, let's see if they'll just go away. Tell them it's sugar. Okay. It's sugar. Oh no, boss, boss. This isn't going away. It keeps getting bigger. I don't like, think boss saw the picture. Do you think boss saw the pictures? No, no, I don't think so. Cause if boss saw the pictures, like he like, it's a freaking shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> in the world knows that's a shrimp. So that's what concerns me the most is that the, the higher-ups of whether it's cinnamon, I don't know how General Mills is like split up, right? Like does General Mills have an individual company for each cereal? Um, I like am I the president it. of Cinnamon Toast Crunch or am I the vice president of uh, non-colorful cereal or something at General Mills? Mm, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's probably, I mean, there's probably like a product head. Of whatever for each cereal but I, yeah i bet you i think it's probably all general mills so whoever at general mills that just said here social media manager go figure it out like that's the person that i'm the most upset with uh as for the shrimp itself i think it's hilarious here's what's concerning though right garrett okay so so stuff happens things can if things get into the cereal whatever i i'm grossed out make it right away we go the second bag had been taped together, meaning a rat isn't taping that hole. Somebody yeah. identified, uh-oh, this cereal, whether this is a General Mills employee, whether this was somebody at the Costco that they bought it from, somebody saw this torn apart bag of cereal, and the thought that went through their head was, crap, well, I better tape this up. <laughs> like, that is a problem. And I don't know how to wrap my head around that. Like everything else, I can kind of reconcile that I can't understand. I yeah. can't get there. I mean, maybe, well, I would say maybe it was like someone messed with it at the store, but the, the baked in like yeah. turtlings in yeah. the cereal is you can't like that. You can't know that the store is going to be able and to the, do that. And the right? shrimp tails were like coated in sugar. Like they had gone through the cinnamon right. toast process. Right. It's not. So it wasn't like were, somebody just like dropped shrimp tails into the bag. Yeah, they were cinnamon toast. Yeah, shrimp. It is interesting that it happened to cinnamon toast crunch. Like if you were to take a poll of just random people, I think that cinnamon toast crunch is the resounding number one cereal across general population. Really, I mean, I it's so. okay to me, but it's not like my favorite favorite. It's not my favorite favorite either, but like you talk to anybody, and like, it's their favorite. Yeah, I mean, Golden Grams are much better than Cinnamon Toast. Way better. Cinnamon way better. Life, Cinnamon Life is way better than yeah. Cinnamon Toast. Crunch. Well, actually, they best the, the Malto Meal S'mores. Have you tried that? Yes, I have. You got to get out of here with the Malto Meal. Dude, stuff. okay, yeah, but it's Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Or, or sorry, Golden Grams, Cocoa Puffs, and Marshmallows all in one. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's Just it's Golden delicious. Grams are a million times better. Like Golden Grams are the best cereal. Or if you just want like a classic, then Frosted Flakes. Let or, me tell you what the best cereal is that you did not know was the best cereal. And I'm going to okay. tell you that 
and you're going to think I'm nuts. It's okay. Funfetti cereal. I've never even seen Funfetti cereal. Well, go to Walmart, find it. It is Funfetti. I think it's like Pillsbury who does the cereal. Like, honestly, I think it's Pillsbury or one of those like Betty Crocker or something. It's a cake brand. It is the most, it is like cupcakes in your bowl of cereal. It seems gross, but they're like little kicks is what they kind of look like. But they have Funfetti speckles in them. And it tastes like the cereal version of a Funfetti cake. Okay, I can get behind this. The, I don't know, what is, I don't know if you've ever tried it. I used to eat this all the time on my mission. They were called, well, it was anyone who served in Eastern Europe who, uh, or lived there for whatever reason they've had. They, they call them, they call them padushichki, which is like little pillows. And they call it a little pillow. And then it was basically like, almost like Captain Crunch, but they were big. So like Captain Crunch, but they were, instead of being like the little tiny yellow squares, they're like the size of like a golden gram or a cinnamon toast crunch piece, but maybe even a little bit bigger. And then they had cream filling in the middle. So it was straight up like eating frosting cereal. And that's what I imagine the Funfetti cake probably tastes like. It has kind of, I mean, it's, it's kind of, but I, I am pleasantly surprised that it isn't just like I'm eating a bowl, like a tub of frosting. Like there's actually some, they got the cake part of Funfetti into the cereal. It's, it's phenomenal. It's my favorite cereal. It's expensive. And I don't think Malto Mill will buy it or will produce it for you. You know, so you will have to buy a box, but you well, won't regret I, it. My stimmy hit my bank account this morning, finally. So we will, <laughs> I, I, can, I can afford me some Funfetti cereal. Uh, yes, and go get it. On that note, speaking of cereal, kids love breakfast cereal. And we put out, I did a, kind of a very off-season mailbag today. And we got a couple of questions related to sports and things. Um, but we also said that we would give very sage and profound life advice. And so we did get a question. It was when well, someone asked, what is the best way to instill good habits in young kids? Uh, my kids generally have awful habits. So I'm the wrong person to ask this question. I don't know, man. My kids, I mean, I, I'm looking at my wife right now and she can nod. And, and tell me if she agrees or not. My kids are some of the most, the least well-behaved children that we know. In fact, I, I'm going to have my wife come on and she's going to give you her advice. Oh gosh. Of, of how she would instill proper habits into children. Because if there is one parent in our house who does have an answer for this, it's my wife. Our daughter is great. And she, my wife deserves most of the credit. I think I've taken a lot of the responsibility with the two sons and it's a lost cause. So here's Jessica. Jessica's going to tell us what she does to instill good habits in children. Uh, oh, don't be so shy. <laughs> we have the worst kids ever. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know. Malin, I think, came to us as a grown-up. And Dax and Bodie, Dax is okay. Bodie, he tells me I'm the worst mom at least once a day. Like I'm the worst mom in the world at least once a day. And, I mean, 
if one of my kids said that to my wife, they need to go to a chiropractor because they would be getting smacked. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> Jeff just kind of gives them a, a good talking to, real good talking to, but yeah, Bodie's. But, but Bodie's your problem child, besides Jeff. Besides Jeff, Bodie is the problem child, yes. Oh, I think you're, I just saw Jeff walk out of the room. So I think yeah, you were like I guess fully I'm promoted here. to co-host here. <laughs> I guess I'm yeah. here for the rest of the night. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's like anything, right? It's just consistency. Whatever you're consistent at, that's what, what they're going to end up with. So, right. uh, you know, it's like, I am not consistent at going to the gym or doing any sort of physical activity. That's why I look the way I do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so, I mean, yeah, I would say. I mean, just back, you can, you can be done now if you want to. Okay. Okay. This was fun. (laughs) The, but yeah, I think it's all just a matter of consistency, whatever you do. And I think really though, if you want to have your kids to have good habits, especially in school and work, don't like, you should praise inputs, not outputs right? Because they can only control what they can control. And I think that's a good, good, I like good thing to learn from a young age in life is to not stress yourself out about things that are out of your control. And you can only control what you do. But like, if your kid gets like straight A's, like, yes, obviously be like, yes, it's good, like good grades, whatever, but praise the fact that they studied, not the fact that they got straight A's, because it's going to come to a point, whether it's like in high school, or in college or whatever, where something doesn't come easy to them. And if they just coasted rather than saying like praising good habits, like if you praise good outcomes at some point, they may have an outcome that doesn't come so easily and they won't have the habits in place. So that's what would yeah. be my advice is to praise the good habits and like the inputs of the things that they can control that will be needed to overcome like something that's hard or difficult. Well, I, I like that. Uh, here's the thing. I'm not even going to pretend to have an answer. Like I'm really not. My kids are monsters. Like they're just monsters. You even heard it from my sweet, sweet wife. My kids are the worst and I love them. They're great, but they're also monsters. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know how to raise children or that I even pretend like I, I even have an idea of how to raise children. I get by every day. And when I go to bed that night, I'm surprised that I survived. And I'm surprised every morning when I wake up that all three of my children are still alive. And it is very much a day-by-day process. It's kind of like alcoholism. You know, in alcoholism, when you're recovering, they say, take it day by day. You're not trying to become sober forever. You're trying to be sober today. That's me, man. Like, I am just trying to be a dad today. I don't know what being a dad like tomorrow is gonna look like. I have no idea. I hope it's okay. But I have no idea. My kids do some of the weirdest things. So I have no clue. Like there, it is co- totally unexpected behavior every day. So just to pretend like I have any idea, it's, it's irresponsible of me. I have no clue. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously it's, I have a two-year-old and an eight-month-old. So it's a little different, right? Because they're still good other than the fact that the terrible twos are very terrible. And those temper tantrums and the swings, the roller coasters of emotion- oh. You're just getting started, brother. Yeah. And it, but it is like, it is getting better, but it is very hard. But yes, that is something that my wife and I have talked about, about being conscientious of, don't want to say like 
oh, you didn't, you got an A, good job. Like, look, you studied very hard and look, you, like you got a good grade because of this, not yeah. just don't like, you don't want to rely on raw talent. And, and, tying it to sports right like it's everyone knows or if you played sports growing up or you see like everyone knows the the player that had the raw talent but just didn't put any effort and eventually they get passed up right so yeah, it's like sure if you know because they relied on that raw talent so it's like don't you don't want your kids to ever rely on the raw talent of anything and i think so, that's sound advice i think that's very good advice i had a plan too my wife and i did jess and i uh, Jess, I think is maybe our first in studio. I guess we had uh, pork Sophia, chop. Yeah, and pork chop was on here too. So uh, she did not like it. I don't think Jess will be coming back as an in studio guest in the future. But uh, Jess and I also had a plan. Uh, I, my parents enjoy to raise their voices. You know, they like to yell and they like to argue a little bit. And, and that's okay. They're great people. But we said, hey, we're not going to yell. We're not going to be yelling parents. And then I had kids that they'll just ignore me until I absolutely lose my shit. So I have to yell. I have no other alternative because if I don't, it's like I might as well just not even be there. So I get it. I appreciate your plan. I, I think that is a very good plan. But uh, that two-year-old will become a four-year-old. And it only gets worse, man. Like as soon as they start to walk and talk, it's downhill. And I have no idea how to do it. Oh man, this is not scary. This is not helping calming my nerves, my anxiety. <laughs> yeah. We, we were talking, we were talking before the show about the great reset and that's a, another discussion for another day. But uh, folks, I think I got Garrett a little bit, a little bit spooked about the eventual economic fall of the American dollar. And now here we are telling him that his sweet little daughter is only going to get worse from here. Now, here's the thing. I'm not spooked because I can look at the net, the U S debt clock. Have you ever seen that website? That just shows the ticker of everything. Like anyone with half a brain can see where the dollar is headed, but the, um, but yeah, I mean this, this kid's business, man, I don't know (laughs) how to do, although it is like, getting better it is still like it is uh, like you said every day it's just like you wake up in the morning and then at some point not even i mean it's like i'm working most of the day so it's like i'm not even with the kids all the time like my wife is but it's like i get done with work and it's like okay go play with the you know go play for a little bit and then it's like okay is it like start counting down to bedtime because it's like it which and i don't know that makes me sound horrible because it's like Obviously it's like, okay, most of that's like my limited time of the day to spend the right. But it's also, it's like that last hour when it's like, she's winding, that's parent time. She's winding down and it's like, she's getting tired. And then it's the, I don't want to go to bed. And then I don't want to eat dinner. And it's like, okay, we have to make you eat dinner, which one point I, I mean, I was like that when I was like four, I did the whole, like, I don't want to eat dinner thing and like get up from the table. My parents duct tape me to the kitchen chair and left me there until like, parents are nuts, man. Like parents are insane. I remember my parents, I used to snap like a lot, like, and not like a regular snap. Like if you hold your, your middle finger and your thumb uh, together and then you flick your hands and like uh, let your let your pointer finger just like loose and it, it flicks. I used to do that all the time. And it drove my mom nuts to the point that she sent me to school with my hands duct taped into fists so that I couldn't snap that day. Parents are insane. My dad, he got so sick and tired of me once uh, complaining that I was sick. I had a cold. I was like 12. 
I had a cold. It was very obvious that I had a cold. And he said, well, Jeff, you know how you get rid of that cold? Think about when you play basketball. When you do a lot of running, you have to spit. So the only way that you're going to get rid of all that congestion in your mouth is if you run or jump on the tramp or exercise. So here I am on like, I have a very serious cold. I felt awful. And in an effort to get me out of the house, my dad recommends to my very, very moldable mind that I need to go jump on the tramp. So I went and jumped on the tramp while I was sick. I about had heat exhaustion. I passed out all because he just wanted to get me out of the house. Like parents are insane, but it makes total sense why parents are insane because kids are nuts. I find myself when we went, we just went to St. George and we drove. So I had all three kids in a very confined space for, you know, four and a half hours as I drove down to St. George. And some of the threats that I will make to my children when they are driving me crazy is like, Hey, I'm in Panguitch and I'm starting to pull over on the freeway, telling them that they will walk the remaining 120 miles to St. George. And I'm about to do it. Like I was, I I wasn't going to actually make them walk, but there was a moment of time when I was pulling over to, to threaten that I thought I was going to do it. I had to walk like halfway home from church once when it's insane. Parents are nuts. So to answer the, the, the question that was sent into the mailbag, I have no earthly idea. You guys tell us how to instill good habits in children because my kids are terrible. If you could like send them to a kid boot camp, I will send them. I will pay whatever dollar amount to send them away. Not even to necessarily learn the habits, but to just have some quiet in my house. If I have to send my kids to boot camp to give myself a few days of peace and quiet, I'll do it. I won't even hesitate. I'll do it right now. Just, I think you need to drop them off at grand, grandma and grandpa's for a couple of days and see you later. I think I do. The pandemic, man. Like we, we've been stuck in the house for a long time together. The, with that, you should also <laughs> feed your kids. And so we're going to take a break to hear from our sponsor, Hershey High Country Beef. Scott grew up raising cattle. In fact, his grandpa was an immigrant from Switzerland who helped settle the Bear Lake Valley and was one of the first to raise cattle there. Scott grew up learning from his grandpa and dad the ins and outs of raising beef, and it's always been his dream to own his own ranch. Scott found himself immersed in corporate America with his career, but always kept his passion, ranching, on the side as a hobby. He and his wife raised five sons and one daughter on the ranch. In the past, because ranching was a side hobby, the calves would be sold off to meat suppliers and distributors. But recently, as we've all realized what can happen to disrupted supply chains, the shortage was not due to lack of beef supply. It was an inability to process and transport to consumers. With Hershey High Country Beef, the issue is solved as we eliminate the middleman and provide beef directly to consumers. The SWH Ranch raises grass-fed Angus beef in the mountains of Southeast Idaho in the summer and along the Great Salt Lake in the winter. We are presently reserving whole or half beef and will be ready in the summer. In the future, as they grow their business, they hope to be able to provide on-demand meat options for monthly delivery. These are mountain pasture-free range, grass-fed, hormone-free, and animal transport and butcher fees are included in the price. A whole side of beef will cost you anywhere between $2,600 and $3,120, and that'll get you about 400 pounds, and that's about two-thirds of a standalone freezer, 40 cubic feet, and a half side will get run between 1,300 and 1,600 pounds, and a $400 deposit is required for that. So reach out to the Hershey family at hersheyhighcountrybeef.com. That's H-I-R-S-H-I highcountrybeef.com. And Jeff, like cows, 
getting murdered. Uh, I ground chicken this week. I used my meat grinder. You used your meat grinder. I did. They what? And you, what you made chicken smash burgers? I did. That's that is. There's some ambiguity in that because it's like a hamburger, but it's not. Yeah. No. It was. Uh, it was good. It was very good. I. It, it's different though, right? Like, because I didn't. I've never cooked a chicken burger with like ground chicken before, like that mm-hmm. I ground. And so I didn't really know how it would cook or like how much seasoning was needed. So I kind of just seasoned it like a regular hamburger. So I needed a little bit more seasoning, like chicken's a little bit more bland, doesn't have as much natural flavor as a a, a beef patty. So there's some things I do differently, but uh, that was really good. And really this meat grinder has, I think, I think it has made it easy to be healthy because I can go and I can buy what did I buy at Sam's today? Like seven pounds, six and a half pounds of chicken thighs for like six bucks. And no, a chicken thigh isn't as healthy as a chicken breast, but it's healthier than a, a it's, you know, beef it's equal, or whatever. It's equally as healthy. Yeah, it's chicken fine. breast. Fat is so, Fat is good for you. So I had six and a half pounds of chicken thighs for like six bucks. I think I paid six oh nine. And then ground that up, and I have that much. And I mean, obviously, you lose a little bit because you cut it and have to get rid of some stuff. Uh, but I had, you know, probably five, five and a half pounds of ground chicken. Like, it makes the diet game completely different. This meat grinder has already paid for itself. Everybody needs a meat grinder. Which meat grinder? Did you just get the KitchenAid attachment, or is it different? No, it's a it's a full on meat grinder. I can't remember. It's did one you get of those on Amazon? Amazon. Okay, let me go look for a meat grinder. Brands, you know, because yeah. I've also, you know, so it's, it's not a name brand, it's like a IOC, right? It's so it was like probably like 50 bucks or something like that. Yeah, 50, 60 bucks, something like that. Okay, maybe I need to get me get me a meat grinder, but you know, it, it, I, it brought me to an interesting preposition, proposition. I don't know what the word is. I and so as I was making my chicken smash burgers today, and I thought to myself, "Hey, look, chicken can become burgers. Chicken, I can, I can do it the same way as ground beef." I thought of stir fry, and I thought to myself, "Why is stir fry always relegated to being an Asian food?" Now, obviously, it has Asian noodles, but why do we always go to like General Tso's sauce, or I need to have my. Uh, like my gochujang or my sriracha sauce or my teriyaki sauce. Why is it always the like stir fry always an Asian food? Do you realize how good you could make like barbecue chicken and stir fry noodles and, you know, with barbecue sauce, throw in some like grilled onions and maybe a pepper or something like that. But like some of those, natural barbecue type flavors and mix it into a stir fry how good that would be or chicken breast that you coat in like buffalo sauce throw in i don't know celery carrots maybe maybe not carrots but celery that you would get like if you're getting wings put it in with some stir fry and then put ranch and blue cheese in it why stir fry only an asian thing i think stir fry is way more versatile than what anybody believes I mean, I think anything is more versatile, but it's like obviously stir frying. It's like the technique that technique comes from China, so that's like sure. why. But it's you know that that is something that needs to be expanded, right? We need like to it, fusion that. Yes, fusion. I'm gonna try that this week. Actually, I'm gonna like Greek Greek stir fry would be really good. 
in a similar vein, I've actually had this thought before of doing a quesadilla food truck and having different types of cases. Like I've yeah. made, I've made Greek quesadillas before yeah. that had like, kind of like a, um, you know, like a Euro type filling and then with like feta and like mozzarella and spinach and olives and it's delicious when, um, uh, and then it's, you know, doing your normal thing I've done, uh, I've done Chinese, like I've taken leftover Chinese food and chopped it up and used that as a, with a quesadilla filling. And so it's, yeah, similar to your stir fry thing. I don't see why, you know, you can, if you mix anything with carbs, it's probably going to taste good, right? Like it's just greasy noodles or rice, yeah. whatever, which is yeah. going to take on the flavor of what else you put around it. And then it's like, yeah, put on some chicken, like whatever sauce you put on. I do the, the buffalo chicken with the celery and carrots and like maybe throw some broccoli in there. Broccoli doesn't really taste like much in a stir fry, like a couple, you know, some peppers. And I could get behind that. It sounds delicious. Uh, the spinoff of the Give Them Hell Brigham podcast, the first spinoff. We've had many ideas for many spinoffs, but the first one I think is going to be fusion food. You know, give them hell fusion food. Uh, did you know that this vid? Have I don't know. I'm gonna post a video in the chat. I don't know if you have seen this, but I searched buffalo chicken stir fry, and Mr. Sam the Cooking Guy <laughs> has done it's our this. guy. Wow, this is the McClintock effect is in full swing here that we were on the same wavelength with this channel and it's not even, I didn't even know. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is week four. That makes four consecutive episodes that Sam the Cooking Guy has gotten a shout out from us. Our favorite Canadian. Yes, he is our favorite Canadian. And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm pumped about it. So that's that's going to be our first spinoff. I don't know what we're going to call it. I'd like to, you know, give them hell something, but give them hell fusion food. Give them fusion food. I, I don't know. It seems weird, but fusion food's going to be our thing. Yeah, I can get behind this. Uh, and wrapping out the non-sports related things, we this is a sports podcast. We are now, and about we have 20 a ton minutes. of sports content. We do have it is fully in the it is fully off-season mode but we do have lots of sports content um basketball season is over for the cougars across the board we all saw what happened on saturday when just about everybody besides alex barcello's offensive game was stuck in the airport in provo or maybe it was in the elevator uh, with along with jesse wade and then the lady cougs were up today they were up with like two minutes left and then this was my fault. And then, uh, they ended up dropping one yeah. to the lady cats of UA. So yeah, that one, I, I think I have to take full responsibility. I tweeted after, so there was back-to-back buckets, Lauren Gustin, it was tied at like 37 tied at 39. Lauren Gustin hit a shot, kind of a crazy shot. If I remember right. And then Shaley Gonzalez hit a shot. So BYU went up four. And in the women's game, four points with five minutes to go kind of feels like a 12-point lead with three minutes to go in the men's game. Like, they that's played a, a much more deliberate pace. Of, yes. Like when, you're little, when your coach was like, pass the ball four times before you shoot, that's kind of what right. it feels like they, they're going and, for. And, and there's a lot less uh, – there's fewer ladies out there who can like hit a step back three. Like they have to work the ball inside and that's fine. 
Uh, so I tweeted out. I said, Lauren and Shaley are going to get this done for the Lady Cougs. Get to ESPNU now. Damn and it, Jeff. almost immediately after I hit tweet, uh, Arizona did hit back-to-back threes, went up two, and, and never looked back. So I have to take full responsibility. I take zero responsibility for the men. That was just trash. And I was in a sports book in Mesquite, and there were many, 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 many upset betters on Saturday night because a lot of people put their trust in BYU and BYU let them down. I made a friend at the sports book. His name was Abe. Uh, great, great guy. Really great guy. And I watched him. He had won a bunch of money. He hit on a, a it was a wonderful day for him. He hit on a, a seven leg and then a six leg parlay. Like that's pretty freaking amazing. That was a good day for yeah, Mr. A. So he he had several thousand dollars to spare. And he thought, okay, I'm not going to bet at all, but he was so sure that BYU was going to win that he took about 80% of his winnings and I watched him put like uh I think it was like 7, 8,000 on the Cougs. And when the Cougs came out as flat as they did, well, I don't think we're going to make him a BYU fan anytime soon. That is really unfortunate and a missed it opportunity. It was just bad. It was bad. And it, it was really hard, and it really kind of exposed what I think we all thought of this BYU team all year long, that, uh, I mean, we usually don't like to belittle players, but I'm going to maybe belittle a little bit here. Matt Harms is not good enough as an offensive player to be successful no. At the next level, for sure. But he struggled immensely, even at the college level. Like, he he would disappear offensively. Great defender, but uh, what Matt Painter said about him being beaten out at Purdue, and that's probably why he's transferring, not whatever it was that Harms said. Uh, that was a little bit of a jilted lover, right? Like, that was Matt Painter being upset. But after seeing Matt Harms go up against some of these some of these games in the last, you know, 10 or so games as the season wound down, it became very, very clear that his offensive game was just not strong enough. Like you would see Mark Pope turn to Richard Harward a lot when BYU needed a bucket because Harms wasn't going to get it done. And Harward has a much better offense, definitely much better offensive. I mean, he's not nearly as good defensively, but his offensive game is a lot more polished. And even too, even offensively, like getting offensive rebounds, Harms just like, he just disappeared like, and i think it's because he's so like, small he gets rebounds and he's like catching them like ha- underhand at his stomach it's like dude you're the tallest guy out there get your arms yeah. up and grab that thing off the board it's I, like I, I think i'm gonna say the four letter word that no athlete ever wants to hear what is i, I want you to guess this word garrett the four letter word that you as an athlete never want to be called what does it start with s Soft. Uh, yes, I was gonna say. I was thinking. I was thinking. W saying he's a wuss, which is similar. <laughs> Same idea. He was just soft. Yeah. And BYU doesn't have the ball handlers. That's. I mean, they have Barcelo and Averett who played lights out. Like they played as good as you could really hope for. I think. What did Barcelo with? He ended. He ended up with uh, north of twenty points, if I remember right. And uh, Averett was easily the. Averitt, he was like twelve, and he was the second leading scorer. But I mean, yeah. even still, it's. UCLA, I think UCLA was probably a little underseeded as an 11 seed. Like looking at Ken Palm right now, they are number 22. 
And that's obviously they've gone on to the Sweet 16, so they've bumped up a bit. Um, I mean, they've gone up actually like quite a bit, but it's they, you know, UCLA is not, they were not bad. No, right? they but were, it was still, they were was, long and they were athletic. And that's just what BYU does not and, have. And it just needed somebody besides, like, Avert came on a little bit late, but it was just needed somebody a- besides Marcelo to get going. Yep. And Loner could not get going. Like, he could he, not. He could not get going. I, and it just, we needed another solid score to take some of the pressure off. And it wasn't, you know, but I was very impressed with Alex Marcel, and I really hope he comes back because I think that if Barcel, now that he feels very cut, like last year, obviously he was not the guy because he was the newcomer. You know, there was obviously Tyler Hawes, there was Yoli, there were four other guys, there was yeah. Toulson, like there were a lot of guys who could score points and Barcelo was the new guy. And at the beginning of this year, he kind of, you know, was kind of timid. Like he kind of fired his like, hey, are you going to be the guy? But then it came into where, you know, he was an, AP honorable mention All-American and he you know was all conference player and did very very well and he kind of faded in that Pepperdine game but then came back on strong in the second half and he came out ready and gunning against UCLA and I think that Alex Barcelo if he comes back with the attitude mm-hmm. of I'm going to be the guy from the get-go I think he can be an absolute like superstar in the WCC next year and probably you know, in terms of scoring, like he may have is potentially able to have one of like the most dominant seasons of any BYU player in the last decade. And yeah, I think he I, is primed to if he wants to come back and do that. I think so. And from what we've heard, it sounds more likely that he comes back than he doesn't. Harms and Averett have both announced that they will be moving on, which isn't a surprise to anybody. Uh, I think that this game against UCLA and really the game against Gonzaga, especially in the second half last week, I guess two weeks ago now, really exposed BYU's lack of athletic length. And that became just a huge problem. Uh, the guard game wasn't bad, right? Barcelo and Averett played well. And, and BYU had certainly size on the inside. But the college game, you unless you're a Yoli Childs, right? Unless you're a Eric Mika, a dominant big man, like with offensive skill that can go and get a bucket whenever you need one you can't really work inside out anymore. It just, everybody's too big, too athletic, too strong. And it felt like that became a a very apparent issue. BYU would try to work inside out, you know, with a true old fashioned back, like post-up game, right? Like with their back to the basket, Harms was trying to get post-up buckets. He was getting pushed around and that just isn't going to work. I I look at guys like Caleb Lohner and to me, he's the key next year. Like Caleb Lohner he needs to make that step. He does. He needs to make that step, figure out how to be a number one option on offense because he has all the tools to do it. But also Mark Pope has to figure out how to use him. I, I don't love Caleb Lohner constantly playing on the block. Like Caleb Lohner has elite athleticism. You've got to figure out a way to capitalize on that athleticism that, hey, he can he can stretch. And this is obviously it's a two way street. Loner has to do his part as well, but he has the shot that he can stretch the defense. He has good enough handles that he can create his own bucket if he has to. But if we're going to relegate him to the block, it's going to be really hard for Caleb Loner to be Caleb Loner. So Pope has to figure out a way to utilize him more. And Loner has to take a step forward in order to capitalize on that just endless amount of raw talent that he has 
And Connor Harding needs to remember how to shoot the football, shoot the football, shoot the basketball. Right? Shoot and, the football. I mean, like it almost shoot footballs, man. Right. Like, and it's that is something where I think that's probably the biggest, that's probably the single biggest disappointment, other than obviously not knowing like what having Gavin Baxter as an extra defensive player. Um, but Harding not taking, and I think that's kind of what everyone expected this season. Like everyone expected. You know, we're talking about Caleb Lohner taking that step forward, you know, and having like where Yoli went from like nine and a half to 18 and change points a game, his freshman to sophomore year. We're talking about Caleb Lohner needs to take that step. And I think everyone expected Connor Harding to take that step in the backcourt and be this like long guard who could score a bunch of points. And you're saying, and it was just not good. Just wasn't there. Chalk that one up to another, another uh symptom of the marriage curse you get married and your game drops a little bit it happens in in football as well but it didn't happen to his wife his wife is a stud she played tonight paisley harding played tonight's game with a broken hand she's incredible also did you see the clip of her taking a charge did you see this on the The one from last year where she Took a charge and then just slid and like rolled backwards and jumped back on her feet. Back handspring, little thing. Yeah, it's incredible. So she's amazing. Uh, Connor needs to get some of the same swagger that Paisley has because yeah. Paisley has some swagger. Like she's the most animated. She's the most uh, like intense player on the court for the Lady Cougs. And, and Connor kind of faded away a little bit. Yeah, for the, I mean, for the last year, team. last year. Was just under 52, shooting 52% from the field, 44% from three, and that dropped to 40 and 32%. Yeah, that was a big so drop. And, and he just kind of disappeared. He fell out of the rotation quite a bit towards the end of the year. So, uh, obviously, a lot of things to work on. It'll be interesting to see what Pope does with this roster. Uh, there is a scholarship crunch, uh, kind of like the football team, but – I believe we will see some transfers out. We already saw Jesse Wade. He has entered the transfer portal. Uh, So he went from elevator shaft transfer portal without seeing the court, which is a little bit of a bummer, but that's what happened. Well, and that's what happened. And he said that he met. So I think they had their out their exit interview um, and they, but they were going with um, they had their exit interview. And he said, you know, that they were looking at going to other schools including the possibility of coming back to BYU, which honestly completely makes sense. He is a talented player who has his, who had his career derailed by injuries and, but he was a walk-on this year. So I think it's great. And it honestly helps build the locker room and the ability. If, you know, you can walk in and have coach and it's like, I mean, he knows he wasn't on scholarship this year. If I was like, look, we're not going to have a scholarship again for you next year. And they already had that hard conversation once. And he's like, look, you know where you stand here. Uh, we want you back, Yak, but you should put your name in the portal and see if you can get school paid for it and see what's out there. And maybe he goes just goes to UVU or something and like goes and plays his final year, whatever. But I hope, um, you know, or maybe he comes back because it's, I mean, he's already in school. He doesn't, you know, it's not necessarily he's gone. He just put his name in the portal to see if he can get school paid for because currently he and his, like his family is, you know, he's paying, he's paying for that. But I mean, it's, it's really sad with how much promise he had coming out of high school, signing with Gonzaga, going on his mission. Now it's like, you know, didn't play in any games his first year on campus, 
he like after his mission sat out then he got hurt last year and didn't play at all and then now this year like he played in nine games the whole season mm-hmm. and great player had you know had his run with injuries it's a bummer um but it is interesting i i think uvu you mentioned uvu uh if byu wanted to trade jesse wade for james jameson overton i think that would be okay jameson overton I, I think he was the leading scorer for UVU this this past year. Uh, he ended up signing with with Mark Matson, but Mark Pope recruited him. Six six guard, athletic. Like he he gives BYU a scoring punch, has length. Like he's kind of what was missing. He's the the Juzang. Oh, I can't even remember his first name for UCLA. The Johnny Juzang that just killed BYU. He's built a lot like Johnny Juzang. BYU needs a Johnny Juzang. I mean, is Juzang available? Can we take him? I don't ah, know. <laughs> let's just let's just get Johnny Juzang. I mean, that's no. It's really it's kind of feel bad for UVU that they've kind of become this pipeline, right? Of like guys coming, and I, I mean that will probably taper off now because you know Pope is far enough removed that he's not taking his guys anymore. But really, if it's like you know they want to, if guys want to play in a bigger program and get more in the spotlight without having to move then I think, you know, it would be great. And just, I, similar to what we talked about, how BYU-Idaho should start sports again and join the big sky. And then anyone who's all-conference, you get a transfer. If you are an all-conference whack player in the at UVU in basketball or baseball, welcome. Grad transfer, let's do it. Like, happy to take you. Especially as a grad transfer. You've only got to follow that honor code four months. So. Yeah. Come on down the road, folks. Speaking of transfers, we did get asked a question. When will BYU make the announcements of Puka, uh, Puka Nakua, Samson Nakua, and um, Jacob, Robinson. Jacob Robinson? I almost said Nate Robinson, but no, he's not the same guy. Jacob Robinson, when will BYU make those official? Not until they enroll in school. Uh, they can... They, they have signed whatever scholarship agreement or whatever they have, but because of initials and the way that, that the NCAA does things to prevent oversigning, uh, it will be when they enroll in school. So it, Was that the same for two years ago? Because I remember uh, Emmanuel Supka and Tyson Williams like both getting announced sooner than that. Was that because they were grad transfer and so it's a little different? as a, Yep. Well, and I, then, BYU, BYU had the initials available. But this year, because of how many kids gray shirted last year and because of how many missionaries are coming into the program and the six or so, I think there's six um, signees who are playing right away, plus the number of walk-ons that got a scholarship, BYU is just out of initials, I think, right now. And so they've got to wait until school starts so that they can technically count those towards the next class or something like right that. so it's, it's really stuff. it's stupid it's, it's not even just like when the kid will start or when they will first enroll it's like they cannot like you can only have so many people sign the paper before this deadline and so it's like they yeah, can't sign they can't sign the paper now because they need someone to graduate in april so that way it frees up a scholarship even though they are already replacing each other and it's like the way it's really stupid and complicated i don't think anybody understands it how truly how it works with initials and whatever um and so but speaking also of football there was a new commit tonight uh jaron kalama out of wasatch high school up in heber he is a 
he is i, I mean i I don't even know if, what does 24 list him. They should list him as an athlete. I don't know if he's listed as an athlete or not, but he's like 6'3", 200 pounds. He is very – he's question what he's, he's listed at. long. He plays some offense. He plays defense. Like he can be a safety. He can play a receiver and kind of the taller, you know, body kind of like a Neil Powell type, or he could be a safety. He could – he has the frame that he could put on 35 pounds and become an outside linebacker. He could put on – 50 pounds and become a 60 pounds and become a smaller tweener defensive end. He could become grow into, I mean, he really could play a number of positions. And so even though he's not super highly recruited, right? Like he doesn't have a composite score because 24 seven is the only site that has watched this film and graded him so far. He, he's very much, he is kind of like a prospect, um, but he is a good athlete that can fit a variety of positions. And that's really. He is a less refined version of Chaz Ayu. Like that's, that's who he is when you watch him play. He's that same kind of fluid athleticism, uh, but he's just raw as a football player. Chaz was like developed, ready to play college football on day one. Jared Kalama is not going to be ready to play college football on day one. But when you watch the way that they move on the football field, Jaron Kalama and Chaz Ayu have a ton of similarities. Um, BYU likes this kid a lot. And, and you know, offer list be damned, BYU really, really likes him. Uh, story about Jared Kalama, he received an offer from, from Fessy, to, so presumably to play offense. From what I've been told, the plan, the defensive staff had planned on meeting with Jaron the next day or calling Jaron the next day and extending an offer to play defense when Fessy beat them to the punch and extend an offer to play offense. Like both sides of the ball wanted this kid. And, and so he's coming to BYU as an athlete and, and it really is a blank canvas, I think for BYU because he's six, three, 200 pounds. He's got those Polynesian genes where maybe he stays six, three, 200 pounds. And, you know, he's kind of a kind type. Uh, he could very easily go from six, three to two fifty to two sixty, and end up on the defensive end. I mean, he, he could go in a, a lot of different directions. It's going to be interesting to see. I think you're going to see a lot of this from BYU. I, I had a conversation with some folks today who, who really understand the BYU scholarship situation. BYU could not sign anybody. Zero. And still be right at, if not over, the scholarship limit, depending on what time kids come home from missions. Like that's how tight the numbers are right now. And so, and that's how tight they're going to be for the next three or four years because for of a missions. while. Yeah. And it's, it sucks, but that's just nature of the beast. So, with that said, BYU is not going to sign zero, right? They're still going to go out and get some players to help plug into the roster and put into the pipeline. But I, I, I think that. I think BYU signed 16 players last year. I, I would be surprised if they signed 16 this year. I've thought between 13 and 17. I think it's probably less than that. I think BYU could legitimately have a class this year where they signed 10. And what's crazy, and this is a different conversation for another episode, I think there's a lot of schools that are in that same situation. Like Utah this year, I think Utah could probably only sign 15 or 16 guys. Like there's a lot of a lot of schools that are, are really tight with numbers right now. So there's going to be some really good players that would normally end up as like player number 22 at USC that fall down to Utah or fall down to BYU. Like it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. There's going to be some G5 
schools who get some very, very good players. But having said all of that, because BYU scholarship situation is so tight, I think you're going to see them prioritize players like Kalama in that they can play multiple positions. BYU does not know what the roster needs are going to be in 2024, 2025, if Kalama goes on a mission. But they know that Kalama could potentially fill one of five different positions. Well, they don't have the scholarship capital to go out and sign a safety and a linebacker and a defensive end and a wide receiver. But if they could sign one guy who could potentially do all of those and then add him to the program later and plug him in where it fits best, I think that's going to be priorities one, two, and three this year for BYU on the recruiting trail. Yeah. And it's, and even on the recruiting trail, and this is some of like we saw yesterday that um, Carson Gay out of American Fork High School, formerly of Tim Carson High Ryan. School. Carson Ryan, Carson, sorry. Carson Gay. Carson Gay. Carson Sam. Gay committed to Virginia. Uh, but the, you know, Carson Ryan, and, you know, I think that was another thing where BYU was up front with him and saying, look, you do not project as a, we do not project you as a tight end at the next level. We project you, you know, you're either going to be a blocking tight end or you're going to be, you know, a defensive, you're going to be a, an offensive lineman and you're probably going to be a guard. And I don't, maybe he just didn't want to hear that, whatever. And that's a similar thing. We've kind of talked this before about like how offers come and go because a year ago, Carson Ryan, like he was blowing up, right? Like he was get offers from Tennessee and it was like, oh my gosh, we're going to get this kid's going to, from Tipview is like loving BYU over these big name SEC schools, whatever. He went to UCLA, right? Like, it's not like, I mean, UCLA, like obviously, yes, like there is the allure of UCLA is a top 20 university in the country. And if my kid got into UCLA and could go to UCLA for free, I would very much not be upset about that at all. <laughs> but the, um, but with, and I was right. It's like, you know, in terms of football right now, it's like UCLA is pretty meant, like it's just kind of there. Like it doesn't really excite you the way yeah. other schools would, you know? And, and so it's like with, you know, Ryan, it's, you know, that he is very niched of, okay, you're looking at maybe, you know, not a bunch of defensive positions, which is where defense is a lot more just like, do you have the explosiveness and aggression? And as long as your body fits in the position, like it's fine. Whereas offense is a lot more like technically, you know, where you're saying, okay, you, you catch a lot of passes now, but really you're going to be a big Daniel Coates or Joe Tukwafu type tight end. And then we're going to move you to center or guard. And then it's like, we already have a lot of linemen. We already have a lot of tight ends. Like it's not like he's not, he's a great player. And obviously he had a lot of offers and he's going to go play in the pac 12. Like, but in terms of the needs, getting a body type like Carson Ryan in the program is very down on the list of Yes, a blocking tight end who we don't even going to – like if you're going to get someone who you project as you can be an interior offensive lineman, just go recruit an interior offensive lineman, right? Sure. Like who's been doing it because it's not – he can play – you project him to being a different position, but then that one position you project him is like it's only one position, so go find someone. It's not like a, you know, Kalama where it's – you we just write off like he could play four or five different spots depending on what his body does. Yeah, I, I like Carson Ryan a lot, and, and I, I hope he does extremely well at US, uh, UCLA. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I, I think if BYU had 20 scholarships to play with in this class, they probably really prioritize Carson Ryan. They probably make him one of the, the, the guys that they get after the hardest. But with only 10, 
whether he's a tight end, whether he's an offensive lineman, neither one of those are like glaring positions of need for BYU in the future. So he was, he was a, a, a nice to have, he would have been a really nice to have, like, I think everybody would love to have him, but it's a nice to have. It's, it's not a, an imperative need. And when you only have potentially 10 scholarships, like you really have to make some tough decisions. Like you're going to have to say no to some players that it's not going to be a popular decision among fans who are going to look at recruiting rankings and say, what the hell, you know? So tough decisions. Um, Best of luck to Carson Ryan at UCLA. Best of luck to Jared Kalama at BYU. I'm excited about him. I think that this is the start of a we'll call it a small barrage of commitments i i think that there's probably two or three other names here the next couple of weeks that i would pay attention to uh michael wilson is an obvious one right the son of the son the the brother of zach wilson and josh wilson pay attention to him uh there's a few other in-state guys as well that i think could pull the trigger soon see mike is the other linebacker right the other linebacker two linebackers isaac is the quarterback correct and isaac is for real i have been hearing about isaac wilson for like a year he was really? an eighth grader when i first started hearing and, and people started to say uh that dude's got zip on the ball like and you watch his highlights he looks like zach like isaac wilson is going to be a stud it will and is he going to start at corner canyon this year because they got another they've I mean, got he was the, just a freshman Right, he's like just he, a, he's going to be a freshman, and then they've got uh, going to be a sophomore. Be a sophomore. Yeah, and, and they've got the Patterson kid. I think his first name is Drew. Drew Patterson out of Farmington transferred up to Corner Canyon, who can also sling it. So it's going to be a pretty interesting battle to watch at Corner Canyon this year between those two at the quarterback spot. Um, either one of them, I think, would end up on BYU's radar at one point. I don't know. I don't know who where it's going to go. Isaac Wilson is for real though, so I know that. Right. I, I know that Isaac Wilson long term. I love Drew Patterson and I think BYU would do well to to bring him in. He he's got a he's got an arm. Uh Isaac Wilson projects as a power five caliber starting quarterback, just like his brother. So you go and you get that guy. Yeah. Um, uh spring ball's wrapping up. This week is the final week of spring ball, and it is the most unceremonious ending of spring ball ever. People have asked me on our our VIP chats and other things like, why is there no spring ball info? Folks, let me tell you why. Because COVID-19 is still a thing and the media has not seen anything. Fans have not seen anything. Like they are on Zoom. The media is, if you haven't listened to anything, like the media is on Zoom and there's like someone there moderating it. And they're like, Okay, uh, Mitch Harper, you can ask your question now. And then it's like super muffled because it's like yep. they have cameras pointed at whoever the coach or player is who are sitting behind the normal like press, you know, media availability thing with the mic in front of them. But then it's like the sound coming out of a computer speaker. So it's like, oh, oh yes, Kalani. Uh, yeah, can we, uh, uh, who, who looked good in the quarterback uh, room today? And then it's like, uh, yes, well, you know, we're evaluating everyone and we're trying to, it's, it's an open competition and we're going to um, see how things play out throughout the summer. Uh, you know, we're really blessed to have four quality guys, you know, Baylor, Saul J, Jaron, uh, uh, 
this is well done. caught over Jacob Conroy's like you know they they can all sling it really well and you know if they weren't good quarterbacks we didn't think they'd be quarterbacks we wouldn't bring them here and we wouldn't you know that's we brought them here because we think they can play and so you know we're just going to keep the competition going and see what happens throughout the summer and uh, as we get closer to our season opener then we'll make a decision then and then it's on in the next thing like, like, that's all that it is think about this though right like just think of journalism is at large right journalism is a as a profession if you are a journalist who covers the white house you go and you go to the border and you see what you can see and then you go back to the white house and you say hey mr president let me ask you about what i saw at the border right i mean that's how it works or you have your counterpart who's at the border and tells you what they saw and say hey go ask this right like but you're confirming something that you or some one of your colleagues saw and you're getting their opinion based on what was seen well with nobody being able to see spring practices there is no confirmation there is no clarification of what you saw the only questions that anybody can ask is how do you feel uh who, who looks good out there uh, right. What stands out to you? Like you're asking the fluffiest questions that have ever been fluffed. And there's not a can't, damn thing anybody can do about it. You can't put someone on the spot. You can't say, hey, we noticed that Sione Fina wasn't practicing today. This is knee bothering him again. Right. Like you can't put him on the spot. It's just like, you know, is anyone injured? Oh, you know, we got normal bumps and bruises, but, you know, we should be nothing major. We should be fine by the end of the season. Ready, and, and ready to go by the season king. opener. Kalani's the king. Hey, Kalani, who stood out to you at practice? Well, you know, I really don't want to single anybody out because I'll just forget somebody. I mean, we're really impressed with the uh, with the whole practice at large. Like everybody's playing well. We're playing hard. Uh, we're getting better every day. And that's really our goal. Like these are non answers. And I feel bad. Like while we we produce content over on Cougar Sports Insider, we're able to go interview recruits, try to get some information that way. I feel bad for the journalists who are required to come up with, like to take those press conferences and, and come up with an article. There was one on Josh Wilson in the Deseret News, and it was a well-written article. It was fine, but it was just like I, I felt bad for Jay Drew having, having to read it because it was like I, I know exactly what Josh said. Like no matter how well-written this is, I watched the seven minute clip on YouTube. I saw every question. I heard every answer. I don't need this article. And Jay had to come up with a thousand words by, you know, a certain deadline to get it into his, his article for that day or his editor would have freaked out. But it's like this, this is the most pointless article in the world because BYU is producing the, the, the press conference. You can't ask Josh about anything other than like, hey, how did you feel out there? Because you didn't see him play. Like it, I just felt bad. And and pick a player. Josh is the one that I read yesterday, and I, I had this thought process in my head. But pick a player. Pick an interview. Pick an article. Like it's all just fluffity fluff fluff fluff. So I have a I have a question here on our agenda. What did we learn from spring ball? I learned absolutely, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. And who is our QB? I still think I say that if the game against Arizona was tomorrow, it would be Jaron Hall based on his experience in the program, but given a full summer of PRPs and two weeks of camp and then two weeks of game prep, it's still anybody's game. But if you really want to read between the lines in the clips that have been put out there, 
it seems like Jaron is throwing to the ones more than Jacob Conover is, but that's also just, that's, I mean, that's just based on that. Like it's, oh, yeah. you know, that's just based on what they happen to put in there. Like we don't know anything. We know nothing. I, I had one person today who is, and players are very good at not giving away things either. Like they're very well coached in how to address the media and the media. Uh, a lot of people don't know this. It, it's like, it's very frowned upon at BYU. Like they'll pull credentials. If you just go rogue and ask a player something like I, I cover recruiting, right? Like I have the phone numbers of very, very many BYU players that I could just probably text them. And I have a relationship and some might answer me with great detail. Some might ignore me completely, but I could do it. Uh, that's, that's grounds for sticking on BYU's blacklist. Like, a lot of reporters could do that, but BYU will not allow it, right? So play, like, there's just not a whole lot of information from anybody. I was told today from somebody who has a parent, uh, I'll say that, a parent of a player who, I don't even know if he's a player at BYU now that I think about it. He, he was a, he's a parent of, I guess he was a coach at a high school who now has players at BYU. He's a parent of a recruit that I've covered but he, that recruit didn't go to BYU, but the, anyway, long story. This is just somebody who has got a connection to the team and that player who is on the team. I don't even know who the players are said. Yeah. It seems like Jaron and Baylor ahead of Jacob right now. Like that's the only nugget of information that I have. And I, I can't even explain where it came from. So take it for what it's worth, but that's how locked down things are right now. And it's, I mean, Really, if anybody was going to be able to tell you something, it would probably be the video crew, but they're not going to say anything because they'd get fired. Right? Like as they say they want it locked down, then you do what you're told because you literally get paid to film football games and practices and edit it. And that is an awesome job. And you're not going to screw that up. Right? Like it's, you're not going to rock the boat with that too much. Um so we learned nothing. Who's our QB? I don't know. It could be honestly, like it could be any of the three and I'm fine with it. Right. Like it's, I'm not. And Fessy and A-Rod have both proven that working together. It's like, you know, look at any quarterback that has played under Roderick, you know, well, I mean, there's well. only so much you can do with Tanner Mangum, but he made Tanner Mangum look serviceable for half a season. Um, but like, you know, it's the, um, uh, you know, when you look at that and you look at how, you know, Zach Wilson progressed, you looked at how Jaron Hall played, you look at how well Baylor was prepared for, you know, his two starts that he's had. And it's not, you know, like either way, it's like the best guy is going to play and it's going to be fine. Like, are they going to be Zach Wilson? No. Is the offense going to miss a beat? Probably not because it's going to be a little less than the have, leaning on the quarterback and we're going to see a little bigger dose of Ropati and Algier and Finau as the three-headed you know monster coming out of the backfield and that's going to carry more of the load because it's a first-year starter but it's going to be fine I'm more excited for pro day than mm -hmm. I I am anything to do with spring ball just because at least pro day we'll get to see something right like spring yeah. ball spring ball has just been an absolute bust <laughs> like normally normally you get excited about it but there's nothing to be excited about like i i just i i don't care about the the little interviews that we get to see like it's just it's all meaningless we've learned nothing so pro day is going to be fun and i want to because people are going to tune in they're going to see it 
I it'll, it will be on BYT, both BYU TV and NFL Network on Friday morning, if you have not heard yet. Um, I want to just kind of go through the eight primary players who are going to be there. So NFL.com released their 21, 2021 player projections, and they took all of the guys who they are predicting will end up on a roster or have a shot at ending up on a roster, and they graded them. The eight players were Zach Wilson, Dax Mill, Kyrus Tonga, Brady Christensen, Shannon Herring, Tristan Hodge, Chris Wilcox, Matt Bushman. All eight of them, based on these projections, were projected to at least get a shot at making a scout team or the back end of a roster, right? So focusing on just those eight players, what is the one thing each of those eight players have to do on Friday during Pro Day to secure a roster spot, whether that be as a late round draft pick or a high priority undrafted free agent, what do they have to do to secure their shot? What do they have to show on pro day? So let's start with Zach and I'm going to start on this one because the answer is easy. What does Zach do to have to secure his status in the draft? Absolutely nothing is what he has to do. Period. He'll throw and, and he'll go out and he'll do his thing. And, and great. He's going to wow people like Zach Wilson. His arm talent is unbelievable. And if the film that you see of him doing it in games isn't impressive enough, watch him in shorts because he's even more impressive. Uh, people forget uh, Mitch Harper. I, I'm going to give Mitch credit, although I think I was on the Zach Wilson train before Mitch because I saw him a lot at Corner Canyon. But I'll give Mitch Harper credit for being the first. Once he got to BYU, it was one day of Zach Wilson as a true freshman, first day of fall camp, that Mitch sent us a text and proclaimed Zach Wilson the quarterback of the future. I could go dig it up. And even I remember even that first day, maybe I wasn't even in, in the spring a clip, but I remember like it was that first day, just the ball exploding out of his hand. I remember I'd have to go to, it was just like, start the kid. It was like, that's it was yeah. like, it did not matter. It was based on a single throw. It was like, yeah. I knew like his, you could just tell his arm talent is unbelievable. Uh, his arm talent in practice when there's not people coming to kill him and he doesn't have to worry about like wandering around to, to, to escape pressure is absolutely spectacular. He's going to put on a show on Friday. So what does he have to do on Friday? Nothing like he's going to be a top pick and he's going to do well. He has to do nothing. What do you think Zach has to do? Um, like if he shows up and has two arms, I think he gets drafted. If he shows yeah. up and one of his arms has fallen off, oh. then I do think he's going to have a struggle. Are we saying, oh, to get drafted, not well, just to whatever? To, okay, to, to, to get drafted, to secure to, his status, right? Yeah, like, to secure his status. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't think he needs to do any. Well, he needs to basically just not be horrible like if he shows up and was like ran like a five two and could only do three reps like basically abysmal 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 across the board doesn't matter he basically needs to show up and put in okay performance for everything and it's done deal he doesn't and he's he's not even gonna run he already announced that like he won't run the 40 because he doesn't have to he doesn't have to do anything he's gonna throw just to I, I think he's gonna throw more for the scouts of the teams who are good that might trade up. I think the Jets have made their mind up. They're either going to trade the pick or pick Zach. 
And so, like, they're not. Although it was reported that Corey Davis signed with the Jets under the assurance that they told him Sam Darnold was going to be the quarterback. Oh, well, by all means. Uh, Me, as a Zach Wilson fan who doesn't care about the Jets at all. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, yeah, they need to, they should really, they should trade down is what they need to do. They should do that. All right, moving on. Dax Milne, what does Dax, what is the one thing Dax has to do? In order to, I mean, what's his status? He's a fringe draft guy, right? So what does Dax have to do on Friday to secure a draft pick? Um, I think he needs to probably either run a 40 in the four fours or a shuttle in the four twos. You had, he needs to run a four, four, nine. So basically get into the four fours. And I think I agree with that it needs to be one of those, like one of the speed things. Cause like he, the bench is no one cares about the bench for a wide receiver. Um, if he's some, and we know he can't jump, right. I mean, he's going to do have some run of the mill. Like, you know, he's going to have like a 33 or 34 inch vertical, whatever. He's not going to do anything, but it's basically, he needs one standout standout thing. And that was the similar to, I feel like he's very similar to Daniel Sorensen who when he, his pro day, or even did, I don't remember, may have been at the combine. It was the combine. He, he was off it was the his, charts. It was his three cone yeah. drill was like insane, like NFL record at like, and not his 40 was meh. Everything else was meh, but it was, he had one, like the quickness and it is either the shuttle or the three cone. He dominated. And it's like, yeah. he needs one, he needs one very above average number. Yep. I agree. And I, I, I think it comes in the 40. I think that's going to be the biggest question. Um, his quickness, I think shows up on tape, his speed does not. And so I, I think he's got to get into the four fours. That's my, that's my, you know, and even low four fives, I guess, like if he's a four, five, one, four, five, two, I think that's probably okay. If he gets into the four fours, he's getting drafted like that. I'm very confident in that. Uh, next one, Kyrus Tonga. I, Ooh, I like what you put here. What is the one thing Kyrus Tonga, who's kind of similar to Dax in that fringe draft guy hoping to secure a pick and, you know, Rowan's a day three pick. Uh, what is the one thing he has to do? You have, he has to show up with his weight under 315 pounds, which I think is, is, is very, very good. Um, I went a different route. I, I went, he needs to absolutely ball out on the, the bench and I put 31 reps, which would have put him in like the top six or seven of defensive tackles in the 2019 combine. Remember, there wasn't one last year. No, or was there? Uh, I no, there I think was. it was all virtual stuff. Yeah, it was something funny because of COVID. So 2019 is what I looked at. That would have put him in the top six or seven. I think he has to show his strength, his quickness. He has elite hands, and it, it really shows on tape that he is – quick with his hand he's quick off the line he will beat offensive linemen to the spot more often than not where he gets in trouble is one his shape right but now that that's what you're getting at here with his weight he's got to show up under 315 and two his strength as big and strong as he is there are times that because he's out of shape or whatever it is he gets pushed around a little bit and if he can show that one he is as strong as anybody in the draft or that he is as in shape as he has ever been in, then I think Kyrus Tonga ends up getting drafted. I am maybe higher on Kyrus's draft status than I am anybody not named Zach or Brady. I think that Kyrus, 
He's just such an animal. And people are going to pull that USC tape up from a couple of years ago and watch him just obliterate USC offensive linemen play after play after play after play. Kyrus Tonga is going to get drafted. I'm very confident in that. But if he shows up and he's only able to put up 23 reps on the bench, then no, he's not. Or if he, he shows up and he's 340, it's not going to happen. Right. He needs to show up. And that's why the reason I kind of honed in on the weight is because I think if the weight for him, if the weight is under control, everything else is going to be fine. If he gets his weight down, he's going to run faster than people thought he did. He, you know, he's going to have cut that weight by, you know, moving iron and he's going to do fine. And, you know, he's going to do fine in the bench and everything else will be okay. And so I think with him, it definitely is, I think it's the weight is the big thing of just, you know, do you have the drive? Like, did you put in the effort when it's, you know, there? And because I think that's always been the big question mark with him. Um, next up, Brady Christensen, who I think is also maybe, I think Brady Christensen is probably also in the not, doesn't have to do anything camp similar to Zach Wilson. Um, I mean, if he shows up and does horribly, right? Like if he shows up and he's like, I can only bench, you know, like 15 times, then that's going to be a problem, which actually let's see in the 2019 draft, the worst offensive lineman, you know, there was this tackle from San Diego state who ran a five two forty and did 18 reps. Like if Christensen does that, he ain't getting drafted. Um, but I think uh, you have that. He needs to hit 27 reps. I think that is true. I, um, I'd say, I think he needs to be in, I think he needs to be in like, if he's in like the four, oh, uh, if he's in like the four fives on the shuttle, then that would do really, really well for him. If he can show like, he's got quick, quick feet. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. Um, I, the, the biggest question that I have for Brady going into the, into the draft, I'm curious where NFL teams have him picked. If they, if they have him at tackle or if they have him as an inside guy and either way is great, right? Like he, he has the athleticism to play tackle and I, I don't know if he has the quickness. And so that's where you're coming in with the shuttle. Can he show that he has the quickness to hang with, with very quick speed rush hands? And I just don't know if he has that, but if he can show that he has the strength to be a tackle, right? 27 reps, 28 reps, that, that puts him in the upper echelon of tackles, but that also puts him in the, Hey, you could very easily be a guard strength like that. That shows that he's strong enough to be a guard. And I, I, in my mind, uh, what is going to secure his status as a, a day two guy instead of a day three guy is his versatility. If he shows the NFL scouts that he can play either position, just get me on the roster. I'll do either one. That's what he's got to show. And so to me, strength is the one metric that shows that better than anything else, but I I'm with you. I mean, pick one, right. Whether it's, whether it's his agility or whether it's his strength, he's got to show his athleticism that he has the ability to play multiple positions along the offensive line. Uh, Chandon Herring, has been long been on our course pick to be drafted that nobody's talking about. And I am still standing by that. I think he goes in day three because he's such a freak athlete. Um, you have a sub five. I'm assuming that's a sub five 40. 
Yeah, which it, yeah. honestly he could turn it as like a, in the four eights even, and I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. And, and I think your thought process is probably exactly where I'm at. I said a 30 inch vert, just something that shows off how freaky that dude is. Like he's yeah. a freaky athlete. So pick something. He's going to test incredibly well for an offensive lineman in just about everything, except for maybe the bench. He's freaky strong, but he's got mega long arms. So I don't know if he's going to be able to put up a ton of reps. Right, because his alarms are are very very long, and that's going to be tough to do. Um, the guy, the guy's freaky. Next with Bo Hodge, you have thirty two reps, so he just needs to show again that he is, um, you know, that he is quick, or not quick, that he is strong. Um, and I think he needs to. Well, I think he needs to have a thirty inch vertical. So that's what you put for Herring. So similar, th- I think he needs to show that just he can have the explosion because he's battled injuries, uh, you know, with his foot, his ankle, his knee. Um, he did have a shoulder problem. So I guess either one of those, you know, be showing that he is, you know, that he has the explosion and his body can, you know, handle. Because obviously, it's he's been prepping for the draft. It's grueling. Like, you know, a lot of physical work to put it in. Is like, can you, you know, kind of show up and perform? I wish Tristan Hodge had tape as a center. Yeah, I don't think even, I think it may even need to be higher than like 32. It may need to be like 35 blown away. This would have been the top performance at the combine. Good because I don't think Tristan Hodge is going to get drafted and there's no way it's, I mean, it's very similar. Um, I mean, even if you look at like, like even if you look at Taysom Hill's pro day, right? Like he, Taysom Hill ran, he ran like a four, four, four. And then he had a 38 and a half vertical and a four, three in the shuttle. Like Taysom was incredible, but because of his injury and the lack of like great tape, he still didn't get drafted because there was concerns about his health. And I think Tristan Hodge, no matter what he does, is going to fall into the same boat. Yeah. I, I have to agree with that. Unfortunately, that's why I say, I wish that, I wish that he had tape, uh, as a center snapping the ball because I think he, he has the IQ and he has the strength if he's healthy to be a very good offensive lineman. And I, I, I wish that he, I don't know, to me, he looks like an NFL center more than an NFL guard, NFL guards, man. Like they're just, they're like just huge, huge people. And Tristan's huge. Like Tristan, and he looks great. Like he's put in a ton of work. He looks great going into pro day. Uh, but I wish that he could be a center. I, I think he'd have the best chance of being drafted as a center, but I agree with you as it is, he's going to have to probably make it work as a undrafted free agent. Chris Wilcox, I'm assuming you're on the same boat here as me. He's got to get into the four threes. Yep. That's it. Period. If he can get into the four threes, he's a day, day three guy. If he's in the four fours, he, four, four, zero, he does not have enough on tape that a team would take a flyer on him because there are a lot of guys that run into the four fours. But if you could say four, three, that's special. And that's when you start to get that second look from scouts who are like, Whoa, wait, four, three. Okay. He's fast. Yeah. And so we'll even looking at the last 2019 to do, there were only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. There were 13 guys at the NFL combine in 2019 that ran under four, four, and, and that's any position. Yeah, that's any position. And I mean, all of them, most of them were, well, all of them were either DBs or receivers. Um, 
but they, um, you know, and so, and obviously you're going to have a few more guys at pro days and whatnot, but he, uh, you know, he, and he needs to get in that four, four, if he wants to have a chance. Um, and I agree. And lastly, Matt Bushman, I think Matt Bushman needs to run a sub four, seven, 40. You have a four, two, nine, you have a sub four, three shuttle, which is similar. He just has to not look slow. Like he, he needs to get it on number. And I don't know. And I've argued with this about people of like, who is faster between right now, between Isaac Rex and Matt Bushman. When I don't know like how, like, cause like Matt Bushman, he doesn't glide. He doesn't look very explosive. He's, he's a rumbler. Right. And so it's a rumble. So when he's rumbling down the field, it looks like he's towing a trailer and he needs to (laughs) get a number on paper that shows that the trailer has been unhooked from that hitch because it doesn't matter. Like if you look slow on tape, right. It's kind of weird, right? Like it's, if you look at someone like Johnny Manziel, he's kind of like the opposite of that, right? Like you look at his 40 time, he ran line, like the four sevens, but you watched him play and he played a lot faster than that. Cause he could cut and whatever. And he played fast. Matt Bushman looks slow as hell when he plays, mm-hmm. but somehow he gets behind guys, but then he always gets caught from behind. Right. And so it's, he needs to just show up and be like, look, no, like I am fast enough. Like it's, I, for whatever reason with his build, his stride, he looks slow, but if he can prove that he's fast enough, then he's fine. But he's just got to pass that eye test with speed. See, and I actually think he gets drafted even as a rumbler. And you're right. I mean, like, uh, I, I hate that I continue to go to big game references when it comes to tight ends. But he doesn't run like a deer. He runs like a moose, right? Like a deer can run through the woods and you just hear little tiny footprints as they bound their way through the trees. A moose is just knocking trees over and going straight. Like that's how that's how Matt runs. Um, to me, even more than his speed, because even as a rumbler, I think he gets drafted because he's just got elite hands. He's just got to show that that Achilles is okay. And that's tough to do. And so that's why I went with the shuttle because I think that shows more of the explosion than just that straight line 40, but you could pick one. The broad jump, I think is going to be big for Matt Bushman too. Like he's just got to show that that Achilles is, is a thing of the past. And even guys like Taysom, like people were, I I think people now tend to forget what Taysom was in 2016, but I remember endless comments on the message boards and on my Twitter feed after BYU beat Arizona, that Taysom was slow that Taysom looks like he's lost a couple steps and that's just the nature of an, of, of a major injury on your foot. And, uh, Bushman's got to show that that's, that's a thing in the past. And so, however that is, whether that's with a sub four seven forty, or whether that's with some of these other agility type things, or just pure explosion in the vert, all of them are going to be really critical for him. He's has to show that's the one thing and he can do it in a number of different ways. But the one thing that he, I think he has to do is show people that, that, that Achilles injury is a thing of the past. Was it Achilles? It was Achilles, right? Or was it Liz? Frank? Uh, Bushman. Bushman yeah. was Achilles. Taysom was Liz Frank. Right. 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 Injury. And so, um, Oh, there are also, so there are other players obviously doing this and I don't know how this is. So Zach Dawes also going Zane Anderson out of this year, obviously Troy Warner, um, Isaiah Kafusi, Kavika Fanua, Micah Simon is making a comeback. Oliva, I hope he's giving it. another run. And Bo freaking Tanner. <laughs> I saw, like, 
I do not understand how Bo Tanner, nobody has left a program, walked out the door and come back in more than Bo Tanner. And then also I don't get like Bachelor Johnson, which I only remember who he is because his name is Bachelor. That's someone who walked on to BYU at BYU, like went on a mission or did something, walked on at the U, then transferred back from the U and walked on again at BYU and hasn't been on the team since like 2018. And somehow he's back. So I don't know if it's just like, Hey, man, I, I, it's like, the, I don't, I don't get it. Cause it's like, he didn't even play. I don't even the think last, he a stat. The last pro day that I went to was the pro day that featured, uh, Tanner Mangum, Corbin Kafusi, Dylan Colley. Um, what's his name? The small little DB. Oh, let me see. Like short. Oh crap. What's his name? Cause he actually was the one who impressed me the most, but I can't remember his name that played a ton in like 2018 that nobody expected him to play. Uh, uh, no. Okay. I'm trying to find, I can't, I'm going to look it up because I can't, I can't find the 2019. We can Squally Canada ran in that uh, one. Here we go. I found um, it. Um, let's see. Squally, Matt Michael Hadley. Shelton. Oh, Michael. That's Shelton. who it was. Matt Adley was there. Matt like Hadley, it was Braden Albacri. It, it was guys with all due respect to them that they had no chance. Yeah. So Squally Canada, Dylan Colley, Braden Albacri, Matt Hadley, Tanner Mangum, Michael Shelton, and then Sione Takitaki. Yeah, so Takitaki was there. He was great. All the scouts who were there were looking at Takitaki, but like there, there weren't even representatives from every NFL team there. Like that was how how bleak the uh, the the prospects, the pro prospects were for BYU this year or that year. This year, there's going to be GMs. Like there will be full on GMs who make their way to Provo to watch this year's draft class. So it just if Bachelor Johnson wants to get in on that, great. Because I remember the days when it was like, oh, 26 out of 32 NFL teams are here. There are six NFL teams who think so little of this draft class at BYU that they aren't even going to show up. So I'm I'm glad that times have changed, even if Bachelor Johnson and Bo Tanner are working out. But you know, Bo Tanner, man, he's just like, and I say this with love. He's a friggin' cockroach, man. Like, how many times does that guy have to leave the program and still show up on uh, on various things? The, the most annoying thing to me about Bo Tanner was when how he never had his mouthpiece in. <laughs> and <laughs> but I remember the only thing, two things I remember about Bo Tanner were, well, three. One, him getting blasted on Twitter when he like quit and then wanted to come back and walked on again. To him getting absolutely destroyed and just watching someone walk into the end zone against USF and three being so close to like a 95 yard pick six and getting chased down from behind in Logan. Cause he was hauling on that. And so actually I'm very curious to see what Bo Tanner does. Um, because I want to see like, you know, just what Bo Tanner does. I want to see him, see him run and see what kind of numbers he puts up. Um, the most, the other thing that I'm most interested about with pro day season is the spin that we're going to hear out of Salt Lake city after NFL Utes, right. And then without question, it is undeniable the amount of success that the Utes have had in the NFL draft recently. Like they've had a ton of players who have been drafted. Not only do they not have anybody who is projected to be a draft pick this year, they are not even having a pro day. 
Yeah, that's... they have to be the only Power Five team who is not even hosting a pro a pro day at all, right? I mean, maybe Kansas isn't. I think even Kansas is going to have like what what what's their running back's name? Isn't he going to try to um, go pro? I don't know. Yeah, but like nope, he does. Uh, they actually already have. They already had their pro day, so. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, Puka Williams uh, ran a four three seven forty. There you go. So to not even have one at all, like that's that's strange, especially a program that has had so much NFL success. Now the spin. Let's just prepare ourselves for it. The spin is going to be uh, Brant Keithy decided to come back. Devin Lloyd decided to come back. So there were a handful of players who came back instead of going pro. That's great. And, and Utah, I don't know. Maybe they're great next year. Maybe they're not. I have no idea. I, I still just can't wrap my head around that. That's shocking. Even for just seniors, even for their, their Dylan Colley, Corbett Kafusi, Michael Shelton draft class, like have a pro day. Or at least like say we're doing it and, you know, we're going to go down to Provo and join up with them, which they've done before, right? Like who was it? There was... Um, like Christian Stewart threw at Utah's pro day for them. Oh yeah. Because there's no one to throw to it like a few years ago. So it's like, right. you know, get them out. Right. Like that's fine. But very the, weird. So I'm looking at this and there are, well, yeah. I mean, there are a hundred and twelve pro days scheduled. I imagine most of them you know, are going to have, I mean, North Dakota state is having a pro day. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like not, I, I'm not, I'm not, what am I, I mean, not doing? I mean, I'm there's a list criticizing. We could, we could go through there. and I can tally it up actually. And maybe I will do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not criticizing the fact that they won't have players drafted. Like they've had a ton of players get drafted. Your, your most likely draft picks did come back. So I get it. I I understand not having a, a player drafted. I do not understand not even having a pro day. Like that is just beyond weird to me. Yeah. I don't get it either. Um, but that is at 10 a.m. Mountain on Friday morning. Um, you can watch it, stream it on BYUTV.org or the BYU app. Or if you have the NFL network, you can tune into that. Uh, Jeff, it's been a good episode. This is back to a long one. This is feels like an in-season episode. We had this does jam packed uh, agenda today. And it's been a good day. It has. It has been a very good day. Um, I'm trying to get in shape. That's what I'm going to end this uh, this episode with. I bought a rower because okay. while I want to get in shape, I'm still lazy, right? And, and everybody needs to recognize that. And I have read that if you could only do one exercise machine, the rower exercises, it gives you the best full body workout if you're only going to do one thing. Nice bang for your buck. Yeah. So I bought a rower and I've kind of been intrigued by the rower ever since the first season of House of Cards. That's what he uses. Frank has a, a rower in his basement. And so I, I have been appealed by it since then. So I bought one, a water rower that is made of wood. It's going to be pretty large and obnoxious to fit in my room, but whatever. And that is my quest over the next couple of weeks, not to get in shape over the next couple of weeks. It's going to be a process because I'm very, very out of shape, but building this rower is my quest over the next couple of weeks. It, it gets here, I think over the weekend, 
and then I have to figure out how to build it over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I, I, you know, I wouldn't actually mind having a rower. I've messed around with them before and they're, you know, it, it, it'll get you like, you're going to feel it. Oh yeah. Well, uh, if I walk up the stairs too fast, I feel it a little bit. So mm. yeah, rower's yes. going to get me for sure. <laughs> and with that, Jeff, give that rower hell. <laughs> give them hell. <laughs>